well, after repeated encouragement from family, there was an older gentleman who had been suffering from hearing loss for several years, and he finally made his way into the doctor's office, and, and the doctor checked him out and fitted him with a brand new set of hearing aids, and in short time, he was out the door, and his hearing was restored to 100%. Uh, and then a month went by, and he returned to the doctor's office for a follow-up visit, and the doctor said, okay, I've checked you out, and your hearing is still perfect. He said, your family must be so happy that you can hear again, uh, to which the gentleman replied, oh, I haven't told my family yet. I just sit around and eavesdrop on their conversations, and he says, I've updated my will three times. <laughs> Truth is, uh, we all have a hard time hearing, don't we? Maybe not with our physical sense of hearing, but, but listening to what we're hearing. Uh, paying attention can be a real challenge for all of us. Uh, you know, statistics show that our natural inclination is to listen with the intention of responding, not understanding. And, and what that means is that we default to listening only as long as we think we need to. Once we think we know what's going to be said, we tune out and we start moving our brain cells to try to form a response. And uh, that, of course, creates a minefield for misunderstandings. And relationships over time tend to blow up when that goes on for too long. And so uh, here's some free relational advice, um, unsolicited, of course, but I've learned this myself, that when we try to echo back what we hear, when we're talking with people and we hear what they say and we just kind of echo it back, that, that does wonders uh, for relationships and it really helps build them up because listening is, is hard. And, and you may have also noticed that uh, it doesn't take a whole lot for our minds to wander, right? Um, the average attention span is now reported to be shorter than that of a goldfish. Not sure if you're aware of that. It had been back in the year 2000, 12 seconds, but now they say it's dropped to eight seconds, which is one second less than that of a goldfish. So... A big congratulations to the human race for one more giant leap backwards. Um, and I'm sure uh, all of the school teachers who are here with us uh, this morning, you could testify, right? What a challenge it is to keep the students engaged and, and tuned in to what they're supposed to uh, learn when they're in school. Um, reality is, this is, this is nothing new. Even back in Jesus' day, people had a hard time hearing him. His disciples were a pretty dull group. There's so many times when they didn't hear what he was telling them. And that, to me at least, it gives me a little bit of hope because I know I can get pretty dull at times myself. Uh, you know, there's just so many factors out there that, that can make his words sound to our ears like that that classroom scene from Charlie Brown. I don't know if you remember that one. I'm reaching way back for this illustration. But, uh, but when Charlie Brown went to class and his teacher started talking, do you remember what that sounded like? It, it, there we go. We got it. Yes, it was like some kind of trombone gone wild. Um, wah, 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 wah. And, you know, the idea is basically uh, we have no idea what that teacher is talking about. And and sometimes that happens. 
when it comes to Jesus and his words to us, we just have no idea what he's talking about. Um, In the passage we're looking at this morning, Jesus is giving some kind of listening instructions on how to hear him well, how to tune in to his words uh, loud and clear. That's what we're going to look at. We are uh, in a series called The Journey. We've been making our way through the Gospel of Mark. Um, it's It's a book that's all about Jesus, who he is, why he came, and what he's all about. And uh, we are up to chapter four this morning. I got to say that I picked out uh, the gospel of Mark because out of all four of the gospels, it's the shortest one. And I was really going into this expecting that this would be kind of straightforward. And it hasn't been for me because I'm finding out, and maybe you are too, that there is so much more uh, in God's word than than I ever expected. And, And and. what it's done for me is it's made my sermon, prep, my sermon prep a whole lot longer and more challenging, but that's okay because it's also been just great to see the treasures uh, that, are, that are there in God's word. And so there's a, there's a thread that runs through chapter four of Gospel of Mark. It's Jesus' call to hear, to listen. Akuo is the Greek word. It's where the word acoustics comes from. And it's a word that's going to get repeated 13 times in the verses that we're looking at. So let's, let's listen as Jesus is going to share some stories about how to hear him well. So it says this, um, And he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat on it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And he sowed some seed, fell, and as he sowed, some feed, seed fell among the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seed fell into the good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So the first word that Jesus says as he's starting out the story is, listen, and then as he closes, he says this word, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. It's this, it's this reminder to listen up, to pay attention. And, and, and so what I want to do next is I'm going to skip over the next passage and go right to his interpretation. We'll get back to that in just a second. But Jesus goes on and he explains the meaning of the parable. So it says this, uh, he says, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. 
But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. All right, so, uh, so, so that's the parable and the interpretation. Let me try to do a little bit of a modern equivalent. Uh, we're, we're all familiar with dead zones, right? It's those places where, where there's a gap in satellite coverage. And so if you're on your cell phone and you pass through a dead zone, uh, the call's going to get disconnected, right? Uh, so, so back in Jesus' day, they didn't have uh, cell phones, but they had a lot of farms. And so they um, knew their way around farms the same way that we kind of know our way around smartphones. Um, but Jesus uses this metaphor of planting a garden and it's kind of making a similar point, I think, that there are these areas of disconnect where Jesus' words don't get through. And so maybe what I want to do is help us think of this as discipleship dead zones, that, that as we open up space in our lives to hear from Jesus, to be aware of these dead zones and avoid them. So the story is about this farmer who's, who's sowing seed with abandon. He is throwing it everywhere. There is nothing calculated about what he's doing. He's scattering it all over the place. And every single seed is potent and powerful. Each one contains the power to produce a harvest, a multiplied harvest. But there's a limiting factor. It's, it's not the seed, it's, it's the soil. It's the condition of the soil that that seed falls on. And so the seed, Jesus explains, those are his words. They're potent and they're powerful. And the soil represents the posture of our, of our hearts, of our lives. Uh, and so that's the determining factor for whether his words get through, whether the power of his words get released in our lives or, or not. And so there's a few different scenarios. The first one um, is the seed that falls on the hard ground. And, and, and on this hard ground, there's just no space for the seed to make its way beneath the surface. And so it turns into breakfast for the birds, right? And Jesus, Jesus goes on and he explains that some hearts are like hard soil. They're just simply shut down to him. And the reason they can't hear is because their hearts aren't open to it. They don't want to. And, and Satan doesn't want them to either. And so he comes along and he snatches that word and he takes it away and so this is kind of when the door to someone's heart is just completely shut down. It's closed to hearing from Jesus. And so the dead zone is there, but it's there because the call just doesn't get answered, right? Uh, other seed, he says, falls on rocky soil. This seed springs up, but the soil isn't deep enough for the roots to grow. And so as soon as things heat up, the plant fries out. And Jesus compares that to, to those who hear him, those who listen to his words. They're excited. They get off to a good start. They listen with joy. And, and, and it's all going great up until the moment when things start getting tough, right? Insert some pain and some difficulty onto the, onto the scene, and, and all bets are off. You know, sometimes we can assume that this is the deal. Jesus, I will follow you. I will listen to you so long as you make my life easy and trouble-free. And when we hear ourselves saying things like that in our heads or in our minds, we know that we are heading towards a discipleship dead zone. Because life with Jesus is always better, uh, 
But make no mistake, he never set the expectation that it would be easier. Persevering, it, it's a part of God's plan. And there is no escape clause out of that. And, and the life that cuts and runs when things start heating up, the idea is that you just can't comprehend following a Savior who would go to a cross and suffer and die. It's just a disconnect there. Uh, then there's a third soil, and this is the soil where the seed gets tangled up uh, with thorns. This is, this is referring to the person who hears Jesus, but they're also tuned into other voices as well. It's kind of like trying to have three conversations at once. Uh, Jesus' words are getting twisted together with, with the other things, with these things that end up choking out his word. Uh, he mentions three Ds. He talks about the distractions of the everyday cares of the world. He talks about the deceitfulness of riches, and he talks about just the desire for other things. So when we try adding Jesus to a life that's already filled with competing tri priorities, the idea is that it, it just doesn't work. It doesn't work. Uh, you know, my, my sense would be that, that for many of us, this probably is the ground that we most have to guard against. I, I know at least in my life I do because there are distractions everywhere. There's deceitfulness everywhere and there's desires for other things that are always threatening to take over and, and drown out the voice of Jesus. See, when that's the case, Jesus is still speaking, but, but we can't hear him above all the noise. And the reality is when we try to fit Jesus into any other place but first place, he ends up taking last place. And we could probably look at our own lives and say, yeah, that's true. That's, that's how it happens. And that's why Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God. Make me first place. And then all the other stuff, all the things that uh, people are just consumed with and build their lives around, that'll all be added to you. It's not that it's wrong, it just doesn't belong in front. But it's only when he's the main thing that we're positioned in a way that we can hear him clearly. So put it all together, and you can say this, that this life that, that makes a point to put Jesus first above all the other things, the, the life that sees that he is the one who is more precious than silver and gold, that, that, that finds in him someone who's not an escape clause to suffering, but someone who's so great that they're worth suffering for, that, that heart that keeps the door open and doesn't shut him out, that, that, that would be a good indication of the good soil. That's what it looks like. That's, that's where his voice gets broadcast into our lives loud and clear. That's where his words go deep and they bear that harvest. And so that means that tending to the soil of our own souls is, is pretty important, right? That being aware of what's going on inside of us and, and avoiding these discipleship dead zones makes a big difference in terms of whether we're able to hear him or not. And so there's this, this constant um, need to just break up the hard ground and dig out the rocks and, and weed out the distractions so that his word can grow deep in our lives. And so that's, 
That's kind of the first aspect of, of hearing from him. And, and there's a second aspect that he goes on and, and kind of correlates with this because this, this parable um, gets kind of parallel communication with, uh, with this other aspect that Jesus is getting at. It's bound up in this unique teaching tool that, that Jesus uses and he talks about. So, so I'm going to go back and read that. It says this. Um, it says, when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parable so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And after that, he explains the parable. And then on the, on, in, the, in the wake of that, he says this, he said to them, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear, for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. All right, so let's kind of figure out what is going on here. You know, Mark makes a point in this gospel to point out that Jesus taught many things, that uh, it's not just what is in the gospels that we see, but there's a lot. And, and, and he makes the point that parables were, were Jesus' trademark teaching tool. He loved to teach in parables. Uh, parables, definition might be something like it's an earthly story that teaches and illustrates a heavenly reality, a spiritual reality. And Jesus here explains his rationale. Here's why I'm using parables. This is because the stories in themselves are not enough. See, parables by design require further explanation. On their own, they're kind of like just a joke that you don't get the punchline to, right? They're, 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 they're an invitation from Jesus to respond and engage him further, asking for more. Um, and this was an invitation that most of them declined. They heard it and they declined. And so to look through the scene, we see first of all that there are multitudes of people who listen to this story he told, this parable about the soils. Most of them walked away, scratching their heads, and probably saying to themselves, this rabbi everyone's talking about, I don't know what the big deal is with him. He doesn't make any sense to me at all. I'm out of here. Um, there's a, there's a scene that, that maybe would, uh, would help illustrate this. It comes from the very first Toy Story movie. Um, and it's this early scene where Mr. Potato Head, uh, he mix-matches different body parts, right? So he's got his arm where his nose should be and his eyes where his mouth are. And then he turns to Ham, who's the plastic piggy bank, and he announces, look, I'm Picasso, right? And then Ham turns away, and he responds and says, I don't get it. And then, of course, that triggers Potato Head, and he shoots back, you uncultured swine. <laughs> funny, funny scene, great movie. And maybe there's just a little bit like there's some similarities between what Potato Head was doing, I hope this doesn't sound irreligious, and what Jesus is doing through these parables, because 
That was the initial response. I don't get it. That was everybody's response. I don't get it. Everybody was scratching their heads. But here's, here's the difference. A few of them approached Jesus after that. And they went and they asked him, we don't get it. Can you explain it to us? And guess what happened? He did. He explained it to them and they got it. And, and that's the point that Jesus is making. He's like, parables are kind of like a secret. And, and it's not that he's trying to hide anything or keep things from people. Uh, it's only a secret to those who don't care enough to follow up, who decide, I'm just going to tap out with Jesus instead of leaning in. So, so to those who don't make that effort, the parables are just going to reinforce what they already thought. You know, their, their pre-existing assumption that this Jesus guy doesn't make any sense, I'm out of here. But to those who respond in relationship and sit down and ask him for more insight, they get that insight. Uh, maybe here's, here's the point that listening to Jesus, hearing from him, Jesus is not easy listening, okay? Um, there is not a passive listening that goes on with Jesus. There's an active listening. And, and, and that's what his follow-up to the explanation of, of the soil of parables is all about, where he says, I'm not trying to hide anything. He says, lamps, are, lamps belong on the stand to shine. They don't belong under a bed. And when it comes down to this, he says, if anyone has ears, let him hear. If you want to hear, you can. And the one who enters in is going to get that more that they're looking for. And the one who walks away is going to end up losing what little they already have. All right, so uh, here's what life with Jesus in charge looks like. The good news is that if you are having a hard time hearing from Jesus understanding him, making sense of what he says and what he's all about, you're in good company. That is part and parcel for what it means to, to walk with him. The question, it's almost like he expects it, right? Assume that that is going to happen. The question is, what do you do next? Don't tap out. Don't respond and say, I don't get it. I'm out of here. Instead, the alternative is press in. This is an invitation from Jesus. Open that door, go in, sit down, and let's work it out. Come inside, be with him, keep listening, and he'll clear up that confusion. For us today, what that means is let's keep the word open. Keep this book open. Let's keep our hearts open, and let's Let's stay connected to Jesus through his spiritual body, this people, the church. All right, so, so all of that together sets the groundwork up for, for hearing from Jesus, for understanding him. And now that he's done that, he is going to, to jump right into these two rapid-fire parables. Both of them are meant to help his hearers now understand something incomprehensible, his kingdom. This is what he's been talking about from the very start. And so he says this. He said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises day and night, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And he said, 
What can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown in the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. All right, so, so this is kind of going back to the very beginning, Jesus' main message. He's been saying in chapter one, the first thing he said is, the kingdom of God is at hand. And, and then like a king, we've just seen up to this point is Jesus is just showcasing his power, his authority all over the place. And here's what he wants his followers to get. What is this kingdom all about? What exactly is it? You know, in Jesus' day, the only reference point that they had for kingdom was, was the Roman Empire, military strength, making things happen by edict, by coercion. And so the expectation, the only thing they had to hang this idea of kingdom on was that Jesus was going to be some kind of rival king. He was going to be a, a king of a kingdom that would rival Rome's, and of course they're going to see it, it's going to, they're going to build it up, and they're going to take over the Romans, and they're going to restore Israel to the glory days. That, that is the expectation that God presumed on Jesus constantly, not just here in this one time, it didn't get cleared up quickly, uh, Every time prior to the cross, even his closest disciples, they just couldn't fathom in their minds anything less, anything other. But Jesus here is starting to clear this up, making it clear that his kingdom, it's just not going to fit into the existing script. What Jesus is about, what he's building, requires nothing less than a total paradigm shift. And that applies to them back then, and it also applies to us here today because we tend maybe to do very similar things, right? We, we tend to equate significance and, and in God's ways and ushering the kingdom through power, through, through politics, through electing the right people who can move the needle in the right direction. And I'm not saying there's not a place for that, but that's very different from what Jesus was about building he, he paints a picture of a kingdom that isn't dependent on human effort. A man scatters seed, he says, and then he sits back and does nothing. I know for some of you, you're like, that's my life verse. Like, I love that verse. I can sit back and do nothing. But this, in this parable, he sleeps and he wakes up and he looks out the window and he's like, look at this, things are growing First the blade, then the ear, then the full grain. And the best part about it is that it has nothing to do with him. This is, this is happening all on its own, the idea that this is a work of God, not a work of man. And this is the way the kingdom of God works. Can I share some good news with you? Jesus has not left his kingdom into human hands. Uh, we participate in what he's doing, but it's not up to us. And I got to tell you, if I didn't know that, I'm not sure I'd be able to sleep at night. Um, and I also want to tell you that I have, over the years of being in ministry, met with people who have at times missed that memo. And it's not fun to sit in meetings with people who miss that memo because they are just frantic and saying that uh, with good intentions that it's up to us. 
that if we don't get our act together, if we don't do what we're supposed to do, the church is going to go extinct. It's great enthusiasm. It's just tied to some really bad theology. Uh, you see, this kingdom of God, it's, it's not in question. It's not conditioned on our participation. Jesus talks about it so concretely, so confidently that he doesn't say anything like this. Well, you know what? I'm going to give it my best go, guys, and, and let's see what happens. You know, uh, here's to hoping. He doesn't say anything like that. Human activity is never going to get in the way of what God is doing. That's good news. It's good news that, that we can participate in something, but it's not up to us. And, and since it's not up to us, here's the next thing is God's people don't have to take on this, we got to do whatever it takes kind of mentality. Maybe we can just be content to do whatever God asks. Maybe just simple obedience is a really good place to be, and maybe it's even more radical than trying our best to do something on our own. Uh, paradigm shifting for them and for us. There's a second parable. It's going to take it one step further. Jesus asked this question, what do we compare the kingdom of God to? It's a great question. I think that's a question. If you're in your life group this week, it's not on the paper, but wrestle through that one. What is the best illustration for the kingdom of God? What's the best metaphor that would describe the reign of Jesus? And Jesus chooses a mustard seed. I haven't seen a mustard seed in a long time, but I know it's something that's so small that it's barely visible to the human eye. And what starts out seeming so insignificant germinates and blossoms and grows and over time turns into something so sizable, so significant that it's unmistakable. Jesus says, that's, that's what I'm doing. That's what I'm building. That's what my reign looks like. And, and the question is, do we, do we get it? Did they get it? And, and do we get it? Do we have ears to hear? You know, we live in a world that basically equates size with significance. If something is big, that it must be better. It matters more. That applies to churches as well, right? We get that all the time, like, yeah, this is a great church. It's got this many people, this many programs happening. You know, this popular speaker has this many followers. It's all about size. Jesus kind of hit the reset button. Throw away those expectations when you come to me because I'm doing something so different. And who would ever have imagined that this upstart Jewish rabbi, whose closest followers abandoned him at his time of most desperate need, who was executed on a Roman cross all by himself, who by all accounts should never have been heard about again, that he would turn into the most significant individual in the course of human history. This Jesus Maybe he's talking about himself. He's the mustard seed who was buried in the ground and was raised back to life and started something so great, so big, so significant that it's continuing on to this day that he's the source of hope and strength for countless multitudes of people all over the globe for the past 2,000 years. And it's continuing. 
Make no mistake, it's continuing. His kingdom is continuing to grow and to expand now more than ever. Um, you know, this movement of Christ followers has started out in, 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 in the Middle East, in, in Israel, and, and over years it, it moved and the center was in Rome, and then it spread all throughout Europe, and then from there it moved to North America and spread over this country, and, and today the, the center of growth is happening not here anymore. It's happening in places like South America, uh, in places like Asia, where the kingdom of God is continuing to grow and to expand. What Jesus said would happen is happening. And there's a day coming. I don't know when it's going to be, but, but the kingdom is going to come in its fullness, and we're going to see all of God's people, and we'll see how significant it is. Uh, but, but until that day, we are still waiting for that, and we don't want to be duped into this idea that, you know, bigger automatically means better. Bigger's just bigger, that's it. Uh, it and it's just not what it's about. So uh, put this all together, and, and we start to comprehend something that we, we need new categories for, Jesus' reign, his kingdoms, because those old categories just don't work, and we're going to not hear him clearly if we keep on using those old categories. And so to sum it up, can we hear do we have ears to hear? Are, are we listening? Because there's voices speaking at us from all over the place, and all of them have something to say to you and to me. Here's who you are. Here's what matters. Here's what you should go after. And in the midst of all that, there is no voice that compares to the voice of Jesus. He continues to speak, and he wants us to hear and we can do that as we stay connected, as, as we lean in, as we learn from him, and we let his work do that work that it can only do, and, and, and let what happens from that overflow out of our lives and be a blessing.